you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be uh, beginning in Ephesians chapter 2 tonight, and then I'll just tell you up front, we're going to chase uh, a theme around uh, the Bible a bit, uh, especially in the Old Testament tonight. I want, to, um, I want to pull on a thread. There's a little thread in Ephesians 2, 10, and I want to pull on it a while, and let's just see, in a sense, where, where it goes. In Ephesians 2, uh, let's go to the Lord and, and ask His blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Father, we need so much for You to um, still our hearts, to give us ears to hear. Uh, we need You to pour out Your Spirit to bring um, uh, to fruition its good work in our hearts. Lord, plant the seed deeply in us, and we pray that in these days ahead You would um, water it, and you would bring a great uh, 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 2, uh, I'm going to read uh, from verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God." not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When I talk about work, um, I know some of you perhaps thought, think, man, it was such a good Lord's Day. And now we've got to start thinking about things related to tomorrow, and I just want to stay with today. I know in a room this size, some of you absolutely love what you do, and you can't wait to go to work. I know that many more of you, perhaps, likely, sort of there are things you like and things you don't like about it, but you just sort of make it work. Put one foot in front of the other, keep doing what you have to do. And some of you are miserable doing what you do every day in the work that God seems to have for you in this season of your life. Friends, we were made to find significance in everything we do in this life because we bear the image of God. We were made to live in fellowship with him in righteousness and holiness and to reflect his glory in the world. We're going to look in just a moment. We were to have dominion over the earth and to be fruitful and multiply and fill it. And sin messed that up. Sin broke our union with God. We began to turn in on ourselves. We wanted to promote our own image. The last thing we wanted to do was reflect his image. And so we are made in his image, but to reflect that in everything we do throughout the course of our lives. 
in our relationships, in our uh, families, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our workplaces. And God has set before us uh, to do these good works that Paul writes about in Ephesians 2.10. And I want us to think a bit tonight about what those good works might look like in the context of your work. Until you are one with Christ, you will never find the significance in your work that God made you to have. And so I'm speaking tonight to Christians, but if you are not in Christ, then let me, what I'm going to set before you could be yours, but until you are right with God, until you know what it is to be forgiven of your sin, to come to him in faith, you will never know the significance that you could have in your work, however much you may enjoy it now. Oh, what you could know but you knew Jesus. Well, let's think tonight a bit about these good works that are prepared beforehand. You notice in uh, verse 10, Paul presses this this word, these ergois, uh, the ergois agathois, uh, the good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's something that God does In our reflecting his image, we are to then do that. But what is it to do good work? People have had different views of that and taken different um, tacks. And I want us to unpack those a bit tonight. Some have said, you know, you just do what you have to do to make enough money to eat. And then you can worry about good works. And good works would be things like evangelism and reading your Bible and prayer and uh, raising your family in a godly way and loving one another. And the work is just an interruption to that. But you have to do it because we're in a fallen world and resources are scarce. And so put your head down, do what you have to do so you can get back to the good stuff. That's one view of work. Another view of work is a little more, um, maybe uh, uh, sanctified, we might say, and that is you do work to sort of pay your expenses, but it's also so that you can be a good giver to the church. You know, you want to be, a, you want to tithe, you want to give to the Lord a portion of what he has given you, you want to give that back to him in obedience to his command, and so you work to make your own expenses, and in a sense, uh, to give back to Uh, the work of the Lord, the good works that God might be doing through others in the world. That's the attitude I I read about this week. Um, There's a third baseman for the California Angels. I won't say his name. Um, But he said to the Orange County Register just this week, he said, work has never been a priority to me. It's a job. I do this thing to make a living. My faith and my family come first before this job. Now, in one sense, we want to commend him for not making an idol of his work and for recognizing the importance of his family and his faith. But he set these things up, you see, as as opponents. Um, And it's ironic because the California Angels are one of the worst baseball teams out there right now. (laughs) It makes you wonder, is he thinking about his work like he should? There's a third uh, view of work that has made its way in the, in the church, and that is 
Okay, we, we work to pay our bills, we work to give to the church, we work uh, so that we can witness to non-Christians in the workplace, and then once that's over, we go back to these spiritual activities um, like uh, maybe direct evangelism and prayer and Bible study and worshiping the Lord on the Lord's Day and those kind of things. I would even put that in the category of a book I, I was given uh, a, year, a few years ago suggesting that you get to a point in your career where you don't have to, to work as hard because you're better at what you do and it, it just comes easier as you get older. And so now you should um, s- slow down a bit and use that time for spiritual ministry in the workplace. And the example given was, should this guy take on another CEO job in his 50s, even though he has a lot of money? And the counsel from this writer was, well, of course, do that, because then you can have a Bible study for other CEOs. And that's certainly a good work. And I would say all of these things are good works that are necessary, but are they sufficient for what Paul means that we were prepared for good works? Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you tonight that I think the testimony of the Scriptures is that all work is a good work when it is done unto the Lord and when it is a blessing to human beings created in His image. Dorothy Sayers, the English writer, essayist, said, work is not primarily a thing one does to live but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he offers himself to God. Work in the Bible has often been divided into the secular and to the sacred. And so the things that uh, Kyle does or Chris does or Paul does uh, during the week, that somehow is a, um, is a, uh, a secular, I mean, is a spiritual work. And the things that most of you do in the marketplace and in the community and in schools and in your homes is a secular work. And that is somehow supposed to undergird the more important stuff. And I just don't think you can find that in the Bible. Let's think tonight a bit about, um, you can um, turn back to Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be in a few places in Genesis. As I said, we're pulling on this thread of what, it, what are good works. In Genesis chapter 1, God gives Adam what we call the creation mandate in uh, Genesis um, uh, one twenty six. He makes man in his image. And then in verse 28, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam alone is given this task. Is, is human beings alone are given this task to have dominion. And if you think about it, Adam began to have dominion as he worked in the garden. And Adam began to have, and that doesn't change, by the way, after the fall, when he and Eve are put out of the garden. Adam's work, the the work changes, the character of the work changes, because it's by the sweat of his brow, uh, by toil, by, by hardship and difficulty. 
You know, imagine what it would have been like to have been in the garden and Adam plants and what do you know, stuff just grows. <laughs> and there, there's, there, are no, there are no bugs to eat the crop and there's no disease and things uh, went just wonderfully like we always wish they would because that's how they used to go. But now in the fall, our work is difficult. But notice God's command is an active one. It isn't Adam, stay in the garden and just soak up what I've done here. You know, the garden is in many respects a picture of the temple, which becomes then a picture, the the new heavens and the new earth. But the garden is that first place that man enjoys fellowship with God. And so you would think that it would be, well, Adam, we're going to just have sort of a continuous worship service. You know, we'll take little breaks, but otherwise we're going to sing and read and pray. But no, God says, Adam, in this garden, in this garden that God has made and said was good, Adam, you have work to do. You're to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And that work continues to this day. When when people discover materials or, or things in the earth that we've never known, we're having dominion over the earth. When we go out and we, we need to get people from one place to another and we build a highway, we're having dominion over the earth. When you, if you're in healthcare, when you help care for people that are made in God's image, you are having dominion over the earth. You're causing human beings to flourish and prosper. All of that is a continuation of what God told Adam to do in Genesis chapter 1. But as I said, we get past the fall and work is now cursed. If you turn over in uh, chapter 3 down to verse uh, 17, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Work is hard this side of the fall, but work existed before the fall. Adam's existence in the garden was not going to be an idle one. Adam was going to get up every day and tend the garden and gradually begin to have dominion over the earth. And it was, that was good work. I would argue that was one of the good works in the sense that Paul is speaking about that Adam was given to do. And remember, it's before the fall. And so it becomes difficult. It becomes harder. It's by the sweat of his brow. He now has to contend with thorns and thistles in a way that he didn't have to before the fall. But the command hasn't changed. Adam, work. Look on over in chapter 4. Cain, uh, verse 17, Cain knows his wife, and uh, you see descendants that come out of that line. We're told that um, uh, Ada bore, uh, verse 20, Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Okay, here's a specialization. Everybody's not going to get up the same uh, and do the same thing all day, every day. God gifts people differently. He, he, people enjoy doing certain things. They do certain things well. They don't do other things well. We see that in our everyday existence. It's part of how God made us, you see. And so he dwells in tents and have livestock. 
His brother, on the other hand, verse 21, was named Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and, uh, and pipe. And then Zillah, bore, verse 22, bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments in bronze and iron. And you, you see Adam's descendants beginning to work in specialized ways. And I don't want to press this point too hard, but go down to verse 26. It's when those things are beginning to happen. It's in that same time period that people begin to call on the name of the Lord. I think there is something deeply connected between our working the work God has given us to do that ought to lead to praise to God as our creator and our redeemer. But certainly as our creator, even the non-Christian can see that. You know, there's nothing, if, if you ever are in, say, traffic, I used to be in the road building business at one time in my life, and there was nothing more delightful to me than to watch a really good machine operator. And he could take that excavator arm and reach it across, and it was an extension of his own arm. There's nothing more, or to watch Becca play the piano the way she does, and to listen to that. There's something, whether it's that, or it's the farmer who farms well, and his farm is a place of beauty. And you go there, and there's something inherent in that, isn't it, that makes you want to praise the God who made this world, and who made us to do that kind of work. Flip over to uh, Exodus chapter 31. We won't be there but a second. But in Exodus 31, the children of Israel have left Egypt, and they are in the wilderness, and God is giving them instructions about what their communion with Him is supposed to look like in this tabernacle and all of these, um, the, the, the lava and the basin and all of the, the components for that tabernacle. And uh, we're told in chapter 31, the Lord said to Moses, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. That's the first time in the Bible that we're told that the Spirit of God filled someone. And it was so he could do his work. This work building the tabernacle. Now we would say, of course, wouldn't we, to the Levites, what they were going to do in the tabernacle, they would go in and they would do the sacrifices and uh, the burnt offerings and all of that. We would say, well, that's work done unto God. But God pours His Spirit out first on the guy that's going to make the tent and the guy that's going to carve the altar and the guy that's going to cast the bronze. You see, there's, there's not this sac sacred, secular distinction. All of life is offered up to the Lord in, in everything uh, we, we do. And you see that, just this little example. You know, we're told um, when Jesus performed one of his miracles, and the crowd said, isn't this Joseph, isn't this the carpenter's son? Now we're told in other places in the New Testament that Jesus began his ministry when he was about 30. This idea that you get to do a skills test and surveys to decide what your ideal occupation is, 
You, you understand that's a pretty new thing. <laughs> that's not how almost everyone in the history of the world has ever lived. You did what your father did, especially if you were a male. And so Joseph would have wanted to have boys because they could help him as a carpenter. And a carpenter was not just somebody, say, who built furniture. It might have been like a general contractor, somebody who would add a room on to your, to, to your house or to your barn. And Jesus, certainly from the time he was 14 or 15 until the time he begins his public ministry, what was he doing? He was working with his hands. Was Jesus wasting his time? <laughs> was Jesus just stalling until he could get to the real, the, the real stuff? Now, certainly there's a unique aspect to Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, fully God, fully man. And so we, we can't uh, make these perfect parallels. But understand, there was no wasted time in Jesus' life, including that decade and a half, let's say, that he spent working with his father, the carpenter. Friends, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof in Psalm 24. Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch prime minister of the early 1900s, famously said, there is not one square inch in all the universe over which King Jesus does not say, mine. And so, as we think about our work, as we go back to a work week tomorrow, wanting, in the, the sense of Ephesians 2.10, to do good works, let's think for just a moment about what those good works might look like. First, there is no, I think, there is no sacred secular distinction. That is a medieval notion that really smells really smoky, I think, because it's from the pit of hell itself. That there is some work that is more important than others in terms of its dignity or its worth or its value. Work reflects the image of God. Let me go further and say, we are never more like God we who are in Christ, than when we are having dominion over the earth. It's what God did. We, we didn't take time to do it, but you could go through Genesis chapter 1, all the times God is active and he's busy and he's working. And he's God. And yet there's something in God's nature and there is in our nature that he, having made us in his image, says, go forth and be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. Again, Dorothy Sayers, she had a way of expressing things. She said, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Friend, work is a blessing to the world. Your work is a means of how God blesses the people around you. It is part of his common grace. 
the, the, the rains fall on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Calvin said, no task will be so sordid and base, provided you obey your calling in it. And he's been speaking earlier in the Institutes about calling in the sense of what has God gifted you to do? What has God burdened you to do? What does God providentially have you in a circumstance where that is what you do? He said, no task will be so sordid and base, provided you obey your calling in it that will not shine and be reckoned very precious in God's sight. The eloquent preacher who preaches before thousands for his own pride is an ugly thing in the sight of God. And the illiterate woman in some awful place in some awful country who is cleaning toilets for the glory of God, that is a far more beautiful thing than what the preacher for his own pride was doing. Now, work can change, certainly. There are things, I'm 59, there are things I, I could do at 29 and 39. I can't do at 59. As I mentioned this morning, we're in the process of working on this move and closing up this house, and there are things I just have to hire some high school kids to come do for me. Work will look different. You work differently earlier in your career than you do later in your career, no matter what you do, because you learn how to work smarter. One of the, the great wastes in our society is this notion that at 65, you begin a 30-year retirement. I don't think that's how God made us. It doesn't mean we work 60 hours a week uh, with blood, sweat, toil, and tears until the time we collapse in, in our old age and, and die prematurely. Our work changes, our work adjusts, because again, that's how God made us. It's acknowledging the world, it's acknowledging our fallen nature. But think what a, what a loss it is. When people who have 40, say, 40 years of experience in a particular field, now the world has told them, well, just go to the house and you know, watch the prices right and, um, you know, maybe go get lunch and come back and take a nap. And so many people, after, especially men, struggle with that because their identity was caught up in their work. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Now, it can be misplaced. It can be imbalanced. But God made us to work. The, the, the man who stands in the entrance to Walmart and passes out those yellow stickers is doing, can do work to the glory of God as he puts smiles on the faces of the people who come in. And that is good and noble work. It's also such a loss when wisdom walks out the door at age 65. What might the, our, our 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds, how might they be blessed and have the wisdom of older workers? And friends, the last point I would make is that as we look ahead in the Bible, the, the picture we have, certainly there are allusions to it in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, but then it comes to full flower at the end of the book of Revelation, this picture of the new heavens and the new earth. You know, if all we were going to do is lie around on clouds 
and pluck harps and eat grapes and, you know, whatever your idea of what heaven is going to be like or the new heavens. We wouldn't need an earth to do that. And yet God's picture and his promise is there will be a new heavens and a new earth. We, our bodies, which are corruptible and corrupted and which decay, we will one day be resurrected just as Jesus was resurrected. And the pictures in the book of Revelation certainly are glorious. They will be the best worship service you've ever been a part of. They'll be the worship service you always, you didn't, you didn't know what it was, but you deep in an unspoken way you were dreaming of because it's what you were made for. But I don't think it's going to be one continuous worship service. Why would God ch- change? See, I think it'll be a restored work in a new earth. And the curse will be removed to our work. But there's something inherent in our nature. Work isn't just a coping mechanism of how we eat during this time between, Christ, uh, between God's creating the world and Christ coming again. I think it's something deeply woven in who we are. And so while the scriptures are largely silent about that, I don't think there's any reason not to um, suspect at least, if not believe, that what we will do is new heaven, new earth kind of work eternally. And it will be a delight and a joy because the thorns and the thistles will have been removed. We will no longer work by the sweat of our brow. Everything we go to do will work out like it should in our work. And we'll be more like our Heavenly Father. So let's get really specific as we wrap up. If you are a mom of young children, and that is your work in this season of life, you are doing work uh, that is preparing boys and girls to be blessings to other people in the world. And you're training them how to have dominion over the earth by first having dominion over counting to 10. And then having dominion over the alphabet so they can write words, so they can communicate and read. And you're, you're raising them to know what is right and wrong, what is good and pure and lovely, as, as the apostle will speak about in, in Philippians. If you're a student, you're having dominion over the earth and you're doing good works as you do good work. That God in this season has set before you to learn about the world he's made. To learn how to think about the world he's made. And as you do that, and as you do it to the best of your um, capabilities, again, God's made us all with different uh, uh, balances and temperaments and skills and intuitions. But as you do that, that is an act of worship just as much in a real way, I think, as when we're in here together. If you're a teacher, you're you're teaching students about the world that God made, and you're teaching them how to think about that world. And as you do that, that is just as beautiful a thing as if you're here working in the kitchen helping to feed people after an evening worship service, or as you're keeping the nursery. 
If you drive a truck, you are helping to get the, the fruits of creation, of having people having had dominion. You're helping to get those things from point A to point B so that people can eat, so that people have the things that they need to live life. And you do it safely. You do it in a way that people's uh, lives aren't taken needlessly. If you work at the sewage treatment plant, I, I like living in a world where we have a sewage treatment plant. I don't want to live the way it was before we didn't have sewage treatment plants. What a blessing it is, is that work to the world and how God has ordered it that some people are really good at seeing that that process takes place. And this is a better world to live in physically because we do that. And maybe you're a mechanic and you, you diagnose problems in automobiles and parts that have worn out. And as you do that, you enable people to get the places they need to go and to get the care they need and to learn the things they... And you're having, in your own way, over that automobile or that truck, you're having dominion over that. You are being like God in that sense when you do it offered up unto Him. And maybe you're a finance guy and you just work with numbers and spreadsheets and, and you project net present values and you discount cash flows and all of those kinds of things. Well, as you do that, you're helping human beings made in the image of God to use their resources wisely, which is part of having dominion over the earth, is that we don't waste things and we, we do them well. And if you're a designer, you, you design things so that we might have further dominion over the earth. When we, when we take a, an ugly space and we make it a beautiful space, isn't there something uh, dominion-like about that? And maybe you're a retiree and you say, you know, I, I have retired and I'm not able to do what I used to do. And you're probably right that you can't do what you used to do. But there's still things you can do as your body allows. And even when your body doesn't allow, that things that you can do from home, things that you can do from a chair. And it may be to just pray through, the, to say, you know what, somebody needs to pray for this church every day. And I'm going to pray through this directory. I'm going to take five people an hour, and I'll pray for them, and I'll go do other stuff. And then I'm going to sit down and pray for them, and I'm, then I'm going to do other stuff. Or maybe it's, I don't know. That's the beauty of how God has made us, that there are so many different gifts. And as we do all of those things, not just praying and not just reading our Bibles, but as you do surgery to the glory of God, and as you dig ditches to the glory of God, that is a sweet and fragrant aroma offered to Him is you're doing the thing that he set us here to do, which is to be about good works. And good works include good work. That's how God has made us. Brothers and sisters, let us rush toward this week that God might receive much glory in the places where he has put uh, each of us. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we... Uh, so often are um, mindful of the thorns and the thistles and of the, um, the effects of the fall on our work. Lord, give us to see the dignity 
of what we do, uh, of what you've given us to do, of how that is a good work that brings you glory in creation and in redemption. Lord, we want to be about um, faithful good works as we often think of them, but we want to be about that in every sphere of our lives, in every task you set before us. Lord, give us to think um, rightly about these things, uh, to think rightly about the world uh, that is yours um, and everything in it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.